if you're doing a very intensive bounding, you know, on, on one, you know, some unilateral exercises, it, you know, the, the, the reaction forces are, you know, maybe 12, 15 times the body weight on one leg. So sometimes it's, you know, it's, that is, if you talk about specificity, that kind of specificity is, is kind of remote, you know, because uh, the, the forces are so much greater, you know, when it comes to jumping than in, in, uh, in sprinting alone. So th there, you have to draw a line, I think, you know, how much high intensity jumping do you really benefit as a sprinter? Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high performance sport. So this episode of the Pace Performance Podcast sees me speaking to another speaker from the Sportsmith Speed Conference, which is happening in three weeks, so March 25th and March 26th in Leeds here in the UK. And we've got Hakan Anderson. So Hakan here in this episode is going to have a little chat around plyometrics, which is one area that he's going to touch on in Leeds. So we dive into low amplitude plyometrics, where we can program them, how we can program them, how we can make use of Polish boxes to get that low intensity plyometrics more frequently. We also touch on a few projects that Hakan's got going on in hockey and also get his take on functional exercises and why we should be framing that differently and specificity and how we should be framing that differently in how we think about program design. So really interesting episode coming up with Hakan. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. And also sponsored by Smarterbase. So Smarterbase is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. So built on an infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategies, processes and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. 
Centralize your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using smarter bases, robust API, and pre-built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision-making with role-based access, custom workflows, mobile apps, and personalized visual dashboards. And with the SmarterBase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand by it. Visit SmarterBase.com to learn how SmarterBase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness. So without further ado, over to the episode with Hakan Anderson. Hakan Anderson, welcome back to the Pacey Performance Podcast. And just before we do get going, I've had Les Spellman on. I've had a couple of people on who are coming to the Sportsman Speed Conference in March. And we were just saying before I press record that it'll be great to have everyone in the room and actually meet people who we've never met before. And you included. We've spoken quite a few times virtually, but um, it'll be great to have you at the conference. I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting you over. Yeah, me too. It's, it's, it's great. You know, those... Uh... This kind of conference is a, it's a great way to meet new people and also meet uh, old friends, you know. So it's uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Huh? I often see on Twitter that I don't know who it is or if it's you that um, that mentions it. A conference was it Sundsvall? Sundsvall? I'm, yeah, I, I I do live in Sundsvall. You know, it's a, okay. Yeah, yeah. But was there a conference there? A while ago that you people know, keep referring to? We used to have, you know, like a, a sprint hurdle carnival here every year. And in conjunction with that, we, we always organized a, like a, you know, a clinic too, you know, so for coaches. And we had some fantastic speakers, in, you know, during the year. So so that's probably what, what they're referring to. Great app, wa- great speakers <laughs> and great yeah. coaches. Yeah. I want I want people in ten years to be thinking to be still talking about this conference in March as they do with as they do with the Sunsvale one. So yeah, that'd be great to have you. Um, but I wanted to get you on the podcast to discuss a few of the things, some things that you may touch on in your talk in in Leeds in March, but other things that you won't. But just before we do, I'm not going to ask you to do a full rundown of your biography because we've done that before and people can listen back elsewhere. But would you mind just giving us a bit of an overview of what you do, Hakan? Sure, you know it's been a few years since we did the last one. So I'm, I'm turning sixty-five this fall. Uh, I've been a sprint coach uh, on national, or international level since uh, nineteen eighty-five. So I'm approaching uh, you know, forty years as a coach, you know. So and I've been very fortunate to, to coach some, you know, um, unbelievable uh, talented athletes, both in track and field, and but also in other sports. So I've been. Like most track coaches, been you know consulting in you know a lot of team sports, and I'm uh, I'm uh, currently employed as an advisor, senior advisor at something called the High Performance Center in Växjö, uh, a city that is hard to pronounce. For- <laughs> I'm glad you said that. You didn't ask me to say it. <laughs> yeah, so so I you know I, I consult uh, coaches. I'm responsible for the testing facility and so on. You know, so you know, and we. Uh, we consult uh, more than 30 professional teams, you know, in, 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 in ice hockey, handball, f- uh, football, uh, and so on, and plus individual uh, athletes as well, you know. So uh, I'm quite busy. Apart from that, uh, I'm coaching a group nowadays on junior sprinters up in my hometown of Sundsvall. It's about uh, four hours north of, of Stockholm. Excellent. So they the, the teams that are consulting at the centre that, the testing center, yeah. Are they coming purely for testing, or are they 
training as well? It's a huge variation, you know, some uh, only for testing, you know, some come, you know, for, you know, for advice, uh, some, you know, we, we conduct the daily training for as well, you know, so it's, it's a wide range, you know, it's from uh, the highest professional level to, you know, division, division three, division four teams, you know, they're a bit more serious about their physical training, so. Amazing. Amazing. So what, just before we do get into the, the meat of the conversation, what state is track and field, Swedish track and field in right now? Well, it's pretty healthy at the moment. You know, we had a, you know, we had a prime in the early uh, 2000s when, uh, you know, we had the Karina Cliffs, the Stefan Holmes, uh, Kaisa Berkvist and so on, you know. And I was a little down for a while, but now it's uh, really, really good again. You know, we, we, we you know, we had a uh, gold and silver in the discus in the in the in the last olympics you know we have monde de plantes and we have a lot of uh, very promising uh, athletes that can probably medal in future championships sounds good sounds good right let's dive in plyometrics something that you're probably very well known for given the the content that you put on social media and all that kind of stuff when it comes to plyometrics let's go for um track athletes first and we can kind of transition that over into more generalized team sport athletes but for track athletes what's your philosophy when it comes to jump training and plyometrics well i think you know you know i think uh, plyometric is a good tool uh, uh but it's not everything you know if if uh, if plyometric was the only thing uh, for developing sprinters you know the 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 jumpers would would be the best sprinters but they are not you know so it's a tool among other things, but it's uh, uh, you know it, it can it uh, I think can really beneficial on, on on many ways. So uh, it you know even in, in team sports, I think it's a fantastic tool for general coordination. It fits very well into in the warm up. Uh, you know it's really strengthen plantar flexors and uh, even you know the the interest, intrinsic muscles of the feet. You know so it serves a preparation for. For injuries, but also for for you know for for developing and you know, of running speed. So, do you separate those two? Do you separate the injury reduction side and the performance side when you're thinking about programming plyometric jump training? Yeah, I think you can you can categorize them in you know in two majors. So you have the low amplitude plyometrics, you know, that almost everyone can do, you know. Uh, and then you have the more intensive uh, kind of plyometrics that uh, can really drive performance, you know. But uh, uh, so, but it, it's not it's not for everyone, you know. You have to be careful, you know, especially with with team sport athletes. I found, you know, that uh, uh, I mean, there is it's a very potent way of training, you know. So. I, I, I rather choose soft surfaces. Uh, I, I do more. Uh, I prefer more, you know, low amplitude, less intensive training, and uh, do nothing extreme, uh, and try to be be careful with, you know, heavy or inexperienced uh, players in particular. So let's dive into the low amplitude stuff because the, the high intensity stuff will get the likes and the attention on social media, which look all look, obviously that that looks great. But when it comes to the low amplitude stuff, what does that look like for you? What what kind of things? Just paint a picture for us. Well, it's, it's you know, it can be a coordinative jump exercises uh, uh, done on, on, on softer surfaces. Uh, it can be rope skipping. It can also be sprint drills that is of a plyometric nat- nature. Everything 
that you don't fall from 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 a, from a high height you know that uh, that the impact uh, impact forces are 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 lesser do you do you have any sort of continuum where you would for for low amplitude plyometrics as you progress people through that i know that's that's kind of a staple can be a staple throughout you don't ha- it doesn't have to be used as a progression to get to something more higher intensity but do you have something like a pro- a progression that you could talk us through well, I think everyone, you know, after a competitive season, before you start, you know, I think everyone, uh, almost anyone you, you talk to in athletics in Sweden, they start their, you know, their build up with coordinated jumping exercises, you know, do it in the woods, do it outside in, in the nature, you know, just jump, uh, you know. Uh, but not, nothing ex- extends is to prepare for you know for what is coming. But it fits very very well into to young kids when they when they start. You know be, you know pre, you know before puberty. You know you, it's very easy to learn coordination. So it fits very well into into that age. You know and. Uh, so you learn how to jump early, then that can be really, really beneficial on a on a later stage. If you have never done any jumping before, you know, and you you come to, you know, maybe 22, 23, you're going to struggle. You know, it's it's a skill. You know, jumping is a skill just as running is. You know, sprinting is. But the problem nowadays, I find, you know, children they if you go go to a playground, you know, they. It's hard to see kids standing standing still. They jump around, you know, and a lot of a lot of of the games they they play when they are young is like hopscot, you know, the rope skipping and so on. But the problem these days, I find that you know we 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 talk about that a lot. That the kids they play a lot less these days. You know, they spend more time in front of computers and <laughs> and less less time on the playground. So when it comes to sports, they don't have much jumping uh, experience. So if a kid comes to, when they're starting track and field when they're 14, 15, you have to be very, very careful, much more careful these days than maybe 20 years ago, you know, because then they, uh, they were, it was easier then, you know, because a lot of kids uh, have been playing a lot and they don't play so much physical anymore. Well, I think that probably even is amplified when you see, like I mentioned on social media, you see the sexy stuff, you see the high-end stuff. Yeah. And maybe coaches could fall in, potentially fall into a trap of progressing too quickly in the scenarios that you mentioned with young athletes who haven't been exposed to that through play and through different activities and want to move along that continuum a little bit too quick. Yeah, and I, I agree 100%. And sometimes, you know, jumping is a way of overloading. I mean, you do you do physical training apart from your event because you want to overload in some sense, you know. And, you know, we, we know from research that the, the peak forces among in the vertical sense among the fastest people in the world is maybe four to five times body weight, but that's a peak force, right? But to jump, uh, you know, to, to create a, a jump that, uh, you know, on that level is very easy, you know. And you, you can understand, we must understand that if you're doing a very intensive bounding, you know, on, on one, you know, some unilateral exercises, you know, the, the, the reaction forces are, you know, maybe 12, 15 times the body weight on one leg. So sometimes it's, you know, it's, that is, if you talk about specificity, 
that kind of specificity is is kind of remote, you know, because uh, the the forces are so much greater, you know, when it comes to jumping than in in uh, in sprinting alone. So there, you have to draw a line, I think, you know, how much high intensity jumping do you really benefit as a sprinter? You know, like I said before, if the jumpers were the best, was was the the best, you know, sprinters, maybe they were, but they are not, you know. So sometimes I think we tend to overdo things too, you know. Like uh, got to be, got to be higher, got to be uh, faster, you know. I think we can we can get away with a lot less intensive jumping and still benefit a transfer to sprinting if that's uh, our goal. So have you been guilty of that in the past and of of since? Yeah, 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 for sure. I think you know, for sure. You know, we like to measure things. You know, we we salute when people, you know, break personal best in the in the standing five jumps or you know the the rebound jumps and so on. You know, but just in heavy lifting, with experience, you start and you start to see that the transfer is not that great. The, the, the biggest transfer is at the beginning, you know, when you start to introduce a new tool for a while, but then uh, usually you get uh, a very diminishing, diminishing return uh, in terms of development of, of sprinting, uh, you know, capacity. So do you think, I mean, it comes back to the point I've probably made a couple of times, but do you think that often coaches, and this is very general, but often coaches may think they need to, keep pushing this person, this athlete on and on and on and on to up this continuum when actually that's a lot of gains can be made a lot lower down and, and with less risk. I agree hundred percent. There's always the, the risk and reward too, you know, uh, and I think we sometimes tend to go overboard, you know, we, you know, yes, because of a, a person run 10, two and a hundred meter and can, can squat, uh, 150 kilos, he's going to run 10, 8, 8, yeah, 10, 1 or 10 series because he can improve his squat to, to 200. Not necessary. Usually not. <laughs> My experience. Yeah. So so let's have a little chat around specificity as a, as a concept when it comes to plyometrics. And you've mentioned it there. So like you say, do, you, do we get into the realm of trying to make things too specific when it comes to the the types of jumps that that we're pro, coaches like you are programming for sprinters. Well, you you have to ask yourself, you know, specific to what. If you there's a lot of boxes to be ticked off when you talked about specificity. You know, regardless of what you do, you know, there is you know there's always the question of recruitment of muscle fibers. You have the intramuscular coordination. There's the discharge rate of motor units. Uh, is there a stretch shortening activity or not? You got to look at the joint angles, the force vectors, the magnitude of force, as we just mentioned, the intermuscular coordination, you know, the contraction angle velocity, uh, you, of course, the, the velocity on the movement, on, and not least the force production time. If you try to tick off those boxes, when it comes to plyometrics, you can tick off a few, but you can't tick off everyone, everything, you know. So. Uh, and and some of those, you know, maybe you can get an overload, you know, uh, so you can get an adaptation that it can be beneficial to sprinting, uh, but not 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 always. You know. So do you think we get too caught up in the like you mentioned the peak force, and people immediately go peak force sprinting 
therefore this is the this is we're going to go above that with x y and z exercises whereas we should be maybe considering the list of six seven eight nine ten other things that fall under that specificity i I, I think so you know like um uh, you know it's um you can, ne- you know, it's, the Im- you know, we know that the impulse is the most important thing. You know, there's a production of, of force over time. You know, and uh, it's very easy to get. Uh, you know, the man- magnitude is not a problem. It's the, but it's a produced force in such a short period of time. And uh, the, also, you know, the, the direction we were applying the forces. You know, that is uh, is 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 is, uh, is different too. You know. I think it's a, it's a J.B. Moran that stated it beautifully, you know, sprinting is all about production of great force in the most effective direction in extreme short period of time. So if you, if you think about that, you know, not much outside the, the, the track is uh, actually sprinting specific, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to team sport athletes on the specificity side, is that even more the case? That it is does become more general rather than specific. I mean, you know, if you talk about transfer, there's uh, uh, there is probably a little bit more uh, transfer, you know, uh, from from uh, like bounding or you know that kind of exercises to to acceleration capacity because uh, you know the more the force of reduction times in the first couple of steps is uh, is a little longer, so. Uh, and a lot of uh, of of uh, like team sport athletes uh, maybe they, they don't have uh, so much time you know so but if they're good uh, if they have good jumping ability if they go good they have good uh, coordination skills uh, they're not uh, uh, you know they don't break it down easy i think uh, plyometrics can be a great way to improve acceleration for them and you know we know in many team sports like acceleration is, is really important for for performance and not only acceleration but also deceleration and, and change of direction. So I think uh, for team sports, especially the, this team sports that run, you know, the, I think plyometric can be be a good tool for them. You mentioned a couple of tests. There was the five, the continuous five jump test. You mentioned another one as well. Is there anything, any other test that you use or any test at all that you use with your sprinters? that gives you a gauge of where you need to kind of plug gaps or take the, take the program? Well, I was a good friend of late Carmelo Bosco, you know, he introduced me to his test, test batteries in the, in the early nineties, you know, but about the, the squat jump and the counter movement jump and the rebound jump and, and so on. And I still, they, they, I think they still stand the test, uh, even though they are still uh, vertical, you know, so, in athletics, you know, we have from from the beginning of days used, uh, you know, the, some horizontal jumping as well as, you know, the standing three, standing five and stand, even standing ten. So if you want to test, you know, the, 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 that's pretty easy conducted test. But like I said before, there seems to be a diminishing return too. you know, if you have a sprinter can can uh, can jump uh, 60 centimeters in the in the counter movement jump. And you focus on his uh, vertical jumping ability, so he jumps seventy or sixty-five. Even you rarely see a transfer to sprinting. 
But if you have a beginner, like, you know, that, uh, you know, only jump maybe 45 to 50, if you can get him up to 60 or 65, you, you, you usually see a correlation with his printing ability, you know. But it all depends on, on, on the type of athlete, of course. Some, some are born jumpers, some are, some are not. Some, some gain tra- great transfer, some, some other doesn't seem to respond well to jumping. So I, I think it's very much depend, depend on the type of athlete they are from the beginning. If they're an elastic type, you know, they're a light frame type, they usually respond well versus the more strong, maxillar strong or, you know, very stiff type of athlete don't, don't benefit much, you know, from, from, from rebound on jumping. They maybe need other means. One thing that seems to get a lot, a lot of attention when it when it comes up again, referencing social media here, is polished boxes. So boxes with various different angles um, that people use various different exercises. What's your thoughts on on these type of boxes, and where would you use them? Where would you not use them? Who would you use them with? When when we, we talked about before, you know, when we, inter, we introduce uh, low amplitude plyometrics in the fall, we usually use nature's polish boxes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i have that you know i have used them with with you know skaters and ice hockey players so ice hockey players so even though the the direction of movement is forward in skating is a lot of has to do with application of force sideways so jumping is from side to side on a, on a polish box is a probably better for for your ankle joints rather than jumping from side to side, you know, long jumps landing on a flat surface. Uh, So you probably can produce more force. It's more healthy for for your joints too, I think, to to use those those boxes. So we've been using them with, with, with like I said, skaters and and hockey players. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone you wouldn't use those with? I, I, to be honest, I haven't used them that much, you know. Okay. So, it went, and when you take when you take your athletes into, like you say, into nature, yeah, is I mean, I saw Joel Smith had put something on um, Instagram the other day about doing exactly that and using rocks and using trees and that kind of thing. That may make some coaches nervous because of the variability within the ground and different all that kind of stuff we both understand what i'm what I'm trying to say does that come into your thinking well it's it's usually with team sports coaches are nervous about everything as to do yeah. laying and they, they the the ironic thing is that they take a thousand times greater risk every time they take a play out on the court you know so i i i, I I can't remember if we had any, any any issues with injuries when it comes to that kind of training in, in the fall. We usually do three or four weeks when we're outside. You know, we live in a cold climate, you know, so and so we all usually just in October that we do it, you know, before we start moving and, and start to, you know, uh, you know, more specific type of or spring training, you know, but uh, I think uh, most of them really benefited and, and they really enjoy it being outside too, you know, so in the fresh fall, you know, it's a nice time to be out and that, uh, but it's usually, you know, the, the temperature goes down to maybe, you know, to five, between five and 10 degrees, but it's not great for high intensity, but for low intensity with short rest and so on, it's, uh, it works great if you, if you dress properly. 
So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Hakan. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we continue the chat around uh, low amplitude plyometrics and how we can program those. And then we have a little chat around some of the projects that Hakan has got going on with regards to sprint training and on land training with ice hockey and other more less traditional sports, let's say. So a really interesting part two coming up with Hakan. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Omega Wave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website omegawave.com and their social media channels. And this episode is also sponsored by Stanta College. Stanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit satantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And now back to the episode with Hakan. We've chatted about plyometrics with sprinters quite a bit, touched on a little bit on team sports, but focusing purely on team sport athletes, if you're working with, uh, do you work with soccer athletes at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. I, nowadays, I don't coach. I'm never on the court, you know, but I've done that previously. But I'm more like an ad- advisor these days when this matters. Is there anything that you think from a team sport, and just using soccer as an example, but it could be anywhere, any specific things that coaches need to be really conscious of when programming plyometrics with athletes that have got, you know, Saturday, Tuesday fixtures or, or heavily congested periods of, uh, of of fixtures, is there anything that comes to mind that they really need to be conscious of when it comes to plyometrics and jump training? I mean, like in all training, you have to look at the athlete. You have to look at their history. You know, they have to look at the history of training. You have to look at the history of injuries. You know, 
So, like I said, it can be a very potent way of training, uh, can improve performance, but then you probably need high intensity. But like I said before, I can I think it can serve like an injury prevention tool. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if if you do it with, with low amplitude and and, and less le, you know less stress, it fits very very well into into, into a warm up. You get uh, you know neuromuscular you know potentiation. You, you warm up. You know, so I think it fits very very well in, into any warm up routine. You know, to prepare athletes from for what they're doing. You know, or, or, you know, being playing their, their sport. And one last thing on this topic: the topic of plyometrics and jump training with jumping athletes. Those that are jumping regularly in their sport, basketball comes to, to mind as a as a pretty pretty easy example. How would you, does all the principles that you've mentioned ring true for these type of athletes as well? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. My, my son-in-law is a professional basketball player. Oh, right. Yeah. So we, we talk about this a lot, you know, of course. Jumping, in Sweden, Hakan. Yeah, in Sweden. Yeah, he's been all over Europe playing in professional leagues. So he's a, he's a, he's a, in a he's plays for the national team. He's, he's a great player, great player. His father came from. From the states in the seventies, and all his family has been playing basketball. So, so I try to help him a little bit, you know. But the thing is, you know, that basketball is like uh, it's like track and field. You have the giant discus throwers, and you have the light frame sprinters in the same team. Huh? So you can't really handle them in the same way. If you have a, a you know, you have, you have Shaq O'Neal in your team, he doesn't need to jump to. to <laughs> You know, he can just stand on his toes, you know. But I think for for most most of them, they they it's not the the jumping that is a problem. It's the landing, you know. It's the landing that is, is the danger for them, you know. And the landing while changing di- change of direction. So, but that's what they they that's what they do when they when they practice all the time, you know. So there's there's a lot of jumping involved, you know. Uh, so I don't know sometimes if you benefit so much from doing excessive jumping with a basketball player. You know, maybe uh, in 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 periods when you don't play as much, or you you know from some other reason you're not jumping a lot. You can compare to a soccer game. You have a you have a you know a forward, and I think I saw some statistics that maybe they jump five to ten times a game. That is not enough to develop <laughs> jumping ability. So if you want to be able to jump higher as a football player, you probably have to break that out and jump more if you want to be able to, 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 to jump higher. You know? So it all depends on the sport, but very much on the athlete and the type of athlete you are and what the history you have and so on. And I guess this is where low amplitude plyometrics comes back in. Yeah. Not something that's going to affect the game tomorrow, but from an injury prevention perspective, that could play its part. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So one thing that we chatted about before we um, before we hit record in the in the last couple of weeks before I cancelled on you last week and apologies for that, um, the functional functional exercises was something that we had a little discussion around, and your bugbear for what is classed as functional and what is not functional. Would you mind just giving us a bit of a an insight into why that frustrates you so much? When if if you if you talk about you know specificity or functionally, I think for you know for sprinters, the only truly specific thing you can do is to sprint faster. Uh, that's that's number one, you know. But it's 
But it's you know, also the thing about functionality. There was a, I think there was a trend that came, but I don't think uh, it's not so hot anymore. You know, uh, and and if you ask people, you know, if you are, are you what what is specificity or, or f- functionality, I think you get a lot of different answers. You know, but uh, if you ask anyone, do you train anything that is non-functional? I ne- <laughs> what is non-functional? <laughs> that's probably something that is a complete waste of time, you know. So uh, I think it's it's not a it's not a very good uh, word, you know. It could functional, you know. Oh, I'm first to raise my hand. We are doing fifty uh, percent uh, functional, fifty percent non-functional training. You know? <laughs> so I don't know. It's um, but I think the 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 trend has gone. Yeah, I think for a while it was almost becoming uh, a circus, you know. People were developing more and more advanced exercises, especially on on the unstable surfaces, doing all sort of Olympic lift lifts on bosu balls and so on. And the only only ones that are really happy are like uh, people like my son, that is an orthopedic surgeon. You know, he get, <laughs> get busy. You know, <laughs> keep them coming, keep the functional trend coming. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. You mentioned Olympic lifts there, Hakan. Yeah. What 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 part do Olympic lifts play in, uh, in your exercise selection when it comes to sprinters? Well, I think uh, you know, er- and everything we do in the in the weight room for me, it's uh, is ninety percent general. And what is good about the gym, uh, the the Olympic lifting, that it incorporates a lot of of, of muscle groups in in one go. So it saves you a lot of time. Uh, I think we did some estimations, you know, uh, you know, some uh, that if you want to exclude an Olympic full snatch with weight machine, it takes maybe eighteen to twenty machines to re- you know to involve all the muscle groups and involve in one snatch. So you 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 save a lot of time. But the the flip side of the coin that is pretty technically demanding. So it's just like jumping. If you're twenty, you're thirty years old. Uh, you, you, I mean, and and uh, you never done any Olympic lifting before, you know. It's gonna take you a while to benefit from Olympic lifting, so uh, it has to, you know, yes, like jump coordination, you know, like sprint coordination. I think lifting technique it's uh, is great if you can incorporate it in in your you know in your teens. Uh, it's uh, much easier than if you if you want to want to have come some kind of effect on it on a la- on a later stage. Mm-hmm. So that do you think the athletes get a lot of benefit from that learning effect early on? So from going from nothing to be able to be competent that that period of learning is it worth putting in that effort and time? Is what I'm saying, and still been able to get a training effect. Yeah. You know, as a beginner, you, you gain from almost anything you do. You know, you can gain gain a lot of strength even before puberty. Uh, you know, you can get stronger. On the, of course, it's both the neural and the uh, and the and the muscular side of it. You know, but uh, you know, I don't think you should be uh, afraid of, of, of resistant uh, training when you're young. You know, just avoid the, the more stupid uh, exercises and. And, and 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 beware of the technique. I suppose that's one thing that may put team sport coaches off is the the time taken to learn it. But not only that, but the time taken to learn it in big groups, 
when you're working with sprinters, you get either one or, or small group training. But when you've got larger groups, that becomes a bit more difficult. Would that, if if you were advising on a, a kind of team sport with 10, 15, 20 players, would that be something that you would advise on or look for alternatives when it comes to Olympic lifts? If you, I mean, I, I would, was consulting a little bit in Bolton Wanderers some, you know, it's a long time ago, and anyway, my friend Paul Bolson was working there. Uh, you know, that is a, it's like the French Legion, you know, a professional football team. I mean, they had, they had people, you know, from all over the world, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, the, you know, the goalie, uh, you know, I think his name was Jeskelein and, you know. Jeskelein, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, and he came from the Finnish school, you know. He had perfect lifting technique. He could bounce over very high hurdles. You know, he was a, he was a true athlete. For him, no problem at all. Then they had the recruited, you know, Yuri Orkaev, you know, uh, French, uh, you know, world championship. He probably be, never been in a gym. So, so why, why, you know, and, and they both at 30 plus, you know, so why stop Jeskelein from doing what he's used to, what he's doing very well? And why introduce something to, to, you know, to, for, for Jorka F that he's never going to benefit and probably is not going to like. You know, you have to find, you have to find other means of getting him strong. You have to get other means of getting him, you know, injury free and so on. You have to, you have to treat individual players like, uh, as team players as individual players as it's a, I think especially the, the sport of football has a long way to go when it comes to physical training. There are some some teams that are working really really well, uh, you know, indiv- treating their players individually. But too many times I see group setting even on elite level, and it's not good enough for the richest sport in the world, you know. What an amazing team that was at Bolton. Yeah. Bringing them, bringing Yorkayev and um, Fernando Hierro and all these kind of. World Cup winners and yeah, what a mad, what a crazy Ivar, time! Ivar, Ivar Campo, that, Ivar Campo, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tufting from Denmark, uh, you know they had uh, they had uh, you know Jay Okocha, super dribbler from from Nigeria. There was there was there was some some great experience. What was Tufting's first name? Is Stig? Stig? Stig Tufting, yeah. Stig, yes. yeah, 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 okay. yeah. He was a tough guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about finally, Hakan, was the research project that you've got going on in hockey i think that's something you've put out online as well so hopefully we can have a little chat around that just give us a bit of a background on the on the uh the research topic that you're involved with yeah it's actually actually, uh, the sport of ice band you know it's um it's civil you know it's a nice sport uh, but it would be like talking to to an irish about hurling (laughs) it's a it's a local sport uh, but it's still fairly popular in scandinavia and in in russia in in the former soviet countries you know it played on a field big as uh, as a football field and it's uh, played with a ball instead of a puck Uh, and it played two times 45 uh, 45 minutes uh, with with uh, very few exchanges so and it's a super fast sport skating is crucial and and, and as, uh, so we started, uh, you know, the high performance center. We did. We are doing a research pro, uh, project together with the Band of, Ice Band Federation and two universities, uh, you know, the North University in Norway and and Linnea University in 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 Vekko, Kalmar. So what we are doing is to try try to find 
characteristic differences between fast and slow skaters. So, so it's, it's a biomechanical study. And so far we have, I think we have tested uh, almost, uh, almost 100 uh, elite and junior elite male and female skaters. So it's a big, a big, uh, it's a power, power, powerful data in that sense, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, my responsibility is not to, to be assigned, but I, you know, being being conducting data, and uh, it's been uh, I've spent a lot of hours in you know, they they play they play inside, you know, but it's still still cold, you know. So six or eight hours a day in front of a computer in an ice rink, it's a <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah, just just coming back to the linking the two and the the kind of athletes that are, that are skating on ice and working on ice and plyometrics, and I'm thinking about the specificity side of things, and then when you um, from when you mentioned that earlier on, is there any link? Did, did, would you advise on plyometrics for skaters? The, the biggest difference with skating and running is that in 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 um, skating there is no flight phase, right? They have contact with the eyes, and the the biggest difference I find, you know, if you talk about force production time in sprinting, you know, we talk about the contact time, which is maybe eighty to hundred milliseconds for. A, for a sprinter, but in ice skating, you know, fast skating, the contact time is maybe three over 300, almost 400 milliseconds. So you have a long, much longer time to produce force. So in that sense, maybe maximum strength uh, has a little better transfer than, than you know, really fast, uh, really fast plyometrics. But we, we know that there are plyometrics, you know, that in in nature are a little slower too you know there, there some are categorized like like a slower stretch shortening cycle over 250 milliseconds those kind of jumps maybe benefit more but you also have to take into consideration that skaters they they have a skating boot uh, so they are not able to use the plantar flexors as much as, as sprinters so you have to be careful when it, in terms of, you know, of, of jumping, especially on the forefoot, and uh, because they, they, uh, they're like their Achilles tendons and so on are also not used to those kind of impact forces. So you have to use different kind of, of, of jumps, uh, I think, with, with with skaters than you do with track and field or running athletes. Uh, so yeah, interesting. Well, Hakan, thank you very much for your time. Really do appreciate it. But would you mind? I don't know if it's the top of your mind or it's yet to be done, but would you mind just giving us a, a small insight into what you're going to talk about in Leeds? Well, since I'm a usually these days I'm the dinosaur in the room, you know, I've been a coach for 40 years. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my experiences, you know, and especially experience around heavy resistance strength training, uh, you know, plyometrics and resistance sprinting for developmental sprinting. So uh, that's what the focus of, of my speech, speech indeed. Excited to have you. Thank you for a little uh, little teaser there. But um, Hakan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast again. Really appreciate it. And I, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in March. And um, have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Rob. And see you, see you soon. Thanks, Hakan. Thanks for tuning in to episode 435 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Hakan for coming on and giving us a little bit of a teaser of what he's going to talk about in Leeds, but also expanding on the topic of plyometrics. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Team Builder, Smarterbase, Omega Wave, 
and Satanta College for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I do appreciate all their support. So just mentioning the Speed Conference, we have released a couple more tickets, not many, but we've tried to cater to the incredible demand that's come our way with regards to the conference. So if you go to sportsmith.co forward slash speed hyphen conference, there's a few more tickets available to see Hacker Anderson, Jonas Dodu, uh, Les Spellman, James Wilde, etc, etc. It's going to be an incredible event, lots of cool things planned. But thanks a lot for tuning into this episode, and I will chat to you next time. Thank you.